Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often they push themselves out of their comfort zones and took risks. We want to know about that decision point. Why did they make that decision? And most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abrachi Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior, and in it, we have a leadership model, CHARGE, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're thrilled to have Natasha Bowman as our special guest. For nearly 20 years, Natasha has labored to transform the American workplace from the inside out. As a champion for employees, she's worked with a broad range of organizations as a C-suite HR executive to create an engaging environment in which employees are respected, genuine leaders are cultivated, and top performance is achieved. Natasha is a modern-day pioneer of workplace equality, inspiring organizations to not just pay lip service to workplace rights, but craft highly engaged cultures where every employee is truly dignified and valued for their contribution. Because of her ability to diagnose workplace issues and provide proven solutions to organizations, she's often referred to as the workplace doctor. Natasha has developed a reputation as an expert consultant through her firm Performance Renew and thought leader for organizations like 4As, Translation LLC, Freeman Company, Wiley Publishing, and Manhattan College. Apart from her rich expertise and cross-sector experience, she brings an ardent intellectual commitment to the field by serving as an adjunct professor of human resources for distinguished institutions such as Fordham University and Manhattan College. She's a sought-after international keynote speaker, having been invited to share her knowledge with the New York Police Department, the City of Detroit, Ford Motor Company, the Employers Association, Temple University, Microsoft, and the Society for Human Resources Management, just to name a few. Her expertise is frequently quoted in national publications such as Forbes, Business Insider, U.S. News and World Reports, and Bloomberg BNA. In 2017, her best-selling book, You Can't Do That at Work, 100 Legal Mistakes That Managers Make in the Workplace, was published and has been adopted as a critical resource for managers and organizations across America. Natasha, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We always like to start our podcast by asking what you do when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking. Thank you so much for having me on this show. And what I do to answer that question, to push myself and expand my thinking, is respect reflect back on my life and the challenges and the struggles, not only that I faced, but in the generations that came before me faced. For instance, I am the daughter of civil rights pioneers. I was born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, and, and my parents lived in Alabama during a time where, you know, there was segregation 
and where Black people couldn't accomplish the things that I have managed to accomplish. So when I need to push myself beyond measure, I often think of that. I think about the fight that they fought um, to make sure that I had every opportunity that I needed to do whatever I wanted to do. And that's what what, what pushes me. Mm. Natasha, I really appreciate that example. Usually people say like, here's a podcast or a book or something, (laughs) but, but I, because at times I think we feel we've made no progress in things, Uh but then, and you can get anxious and and upset and, and concerned, but then if you kind of look back and have that gratitude and realize, wow, yeah, we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely have those days, right? When you look on TV, you see certain things. Oh my gosh, we haven't come very far. But (laughs) I really just sit back and think and reflect and think about the things that I'm able to do that my mother wasn't able to do. My grandmother wasn't Mm -hmm. able to do. And, um, you know, that just really helps me, like you said, come from that place of gratitude and continue the work that I do to make this world a better and kinder place for my kids. Because hopefully, they will, you know, outdo me and be as successful as they want to be with even less obstacles and challenges that I faced. Yes. Isn't that so great? Just removing those obstacles for the next, the next generation, your children, and and you're doing a lot around mental health and that's how we connected. And to your, to your point of 20 years down, maybe your, you know, nieces and nephews and and children are saying, oh yeah, we can talk about mental health now. That's not a big deal. Like that's because we had people like you talking about it and de-stigmatizing it. So it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you it's, know, that was something I never saw myself, um, you yeah. know, being, you know, uh, trying to be a groundbreaker, you know, or advocate, you know, I was all about, you know, workplace equity. And to be honest, when I thought about mental health, that wasn't in my definition two mm. years ago, <laughs> you know, as, oh, creating spaces for those um, that struggle with their mental health. And it's strange how life takes you, right? Because now that's my primary focus. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into the big question then, because as usual, Natasha, I jump too far ahead and I get into the main question without even asking it. So let's get there. So what is the decision you made or a decision maybe that was made for you that changed the trajectory of your of your life? And what are some of those charge qualities that you used to help you during that time? Well, there have been two decisions I've made, and they have both been what I like to call, you know, facing death decisions. So mm-hmm. if you know my story and watch my TED talk, I faced death at 11 years old. I was born with congenital heart disease um, that, you know, got very bad by the time I turned 11. And at 11, I was told that I had six months to live. And um, I remember I just made the cheerleading team for junior high, <laughs> like a couple of days. Congratulations, Natasha. <laughs> That's a big thing. You know, before they told me that. And I was always like that. I was very sick, but I was always very determined um, to do things, you know, regardless of the circumstances. So from the very beginning, I've always had that attitude. So I made the cheerleading team and then I go to the cardiologist and I get, they said, you have six months to live. Um, we've got to, you've got to have open heart surgery and they go through the whole explaining. And, you know, my mom, of course, is upset and in tears. And I just calmly looked at the doctor and said, thanks, but no thanks, because I just made cheerleading and I can't have a <laughs> you know, scar going down my chest. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> 
Of course, they ignored my recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had the open heart surgery in June, but I was determined at that moment that nothing would ever stand in my way, you know, of doing what I wanted to do and achieving the things I wanted to achieve. And that was a life turning moment for me. And guess what? In August, I was at cheerleading camp with that big scar down my chest, doing flips and everything else. People were amazed. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, So, you know, in that moment, I knew, you know, that, you know, there may be times in my life, if I'm facing this at 11, there's no telling what's ahead. Um, But that was a defining moment for me. And um, there have been other defining moments. That second time was um, this time last year. In fact, this week last year, you know, I attempted suicide. And uh, just surviving that and coming out on the other end and being able to have this conversation with you a year later and being in such a better space than I was now. So, you know, I can't really nail it down to one moment, but I would say that Mm -hmm. those are the the two moments um, that have been life defining and life changing for me. Wow. So those are some pretty big moments. Let's take the first one because I am now envisioning you because I've seen your picture, (laughs) like the little 11 year old Natasha. And you're like, I am that good because I just made cheerleading. So there. (laughs) And so where did that come from? I mean, I have, I know 11 year olds Mm -hmm. and some of them are not going to be able to be that strong and like, no, thank you. And here's why. Um, Like what, were you always like this strong kid or did something click in you when this happened? Like what, where do you think that came from? You know what, to be honest, yes, always strong, always out there, always extroverted. Um, my, my, my mother was a pageant mom. So I was in pageants from the time I was two years old and she always described how all the other kids had to be escorted on stage, you know, by their parents and they would hide behind them and be all shy. And I would say, okay, you stay here. I'm going on stage now. And, um, and I would, I would go out there, do my thing. I love the stage, you know, and continue to love the stage. Even now being a professional speaker, people ask me, you know, why are you so comfortable? Like, I love a stage, you know? And so I was always like that. As far as I can remember, I just always thought that there was nothing that could stand in my way of doing things. And I think it's just in my DNA. Like I stated, I came from a family of activists and advocates and a family of fighters. And that's Mm -hmm. just deep rooted um, in my blood, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You see these kind of traits in families and and kids sometimes, as you well know, can be very, very different um, from their parents. And and you're like, where did they come from? But that kind of that strength, you look back at the family line and and my family has a bunch of entrepreneurs in it. And I'm like, oh, no wonder. I see Uh a lot of people going, well, that's a stupid rule. That's a stupid yep. rule. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you had this the fighters and civil rights. And so you had this, this deep um, courage mm-hmm. throughout your bloodline of yeah. just doing that. And you kind of get this contact high off of it as a kid. And you yeah. really, you yeah. really yeah. knew it. And you're yeah. just like, of course mm-hmm. you fight it. 
And, you know, the more I understood it, the more I understood what they went through, it was not just courage, but it was an obligation. I see mm. it, you know, because, mm. you know, I hear of what they went through. They were, you know, part of the Selma to Montgomery uh, march and for voting oh. rights and were attacked by dogs. My mother integrated the high school that I went to and the college and she was sped on. She was kicked. Oh. She was pushed downstairs. And, you know, I would hear all of these stories. So I say, you know, it's my obligation, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that their fight, what they went through both physically and mentally. Um, and like I said, a family, not just my parents, just generation after generation um, to ensure that I am carrying on that, 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 that wasn't in vain, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that's what I wake up every day. Not every day is a good day. I wake up sometimes and it's really hard to get out of bed. It's really hard to do the work that I do. But I think about, you know, well, how hard was it for my ancestors who had to get up and work involuntarily, no pay, you know, in these extreme conditions and they had no choice. Right. And so therefore, I think of those types of things and just coming from that place of gratitude, because, yeah, I have a choice. I got to Mm -hmm. choose my career. I got to choose what I do and I get to love what I do. And that is such an honor and a privilege. And I don't want to waste one single day not appreciating the fact that that is a privilege and an honor. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to, as you're talking, like it's that exemplary that trait that we talk about, um, that Kelly and I talk about in um, the HR Warrior book too, is just that it is knowing that there's something kind of bigger. It's the gratitude. You don't know everything. It's your obligation. I mean, I just love that that is this trait in you. Um, and I can see, I mean, it just comes out of you all the time, Natasha. It's so oh, thank you. Thank you. So Natasha, let's get to the second thing then. And and what I saw on LinkedIn and why we really wanted to talk mm-hmm. to you and this mental health, because now listening to your story, Natasha, you, I would assume most people said to you, you're so strong, you're so confident, you're so, is that correct? Most people uh-huh. would say that? Yes. Okay. So I would think then, so to tell me how this, when you had the suicide attempt and the mental health crisis that people were shocked maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like how did, how did they, how did you reconcile it personally? And how did everyone else, I don't want you to have to go into extreme detail. It's uh-huh. just you, uh, you are like, I'm so strong and I have courage and this obligation. And then to hit this wall and, and to go through what you went through, take us to kind of how you reconciled that. What happened? Yeah, you know, not a single person knew that I was struggling. You know, yeah. I always had this ability, just like I told you, here I am so sick. I have six months to live, but I'm trying out for cheerleading. Right. Um, so it was the same way where I was still showing up. Like I said, I always forced myself to get out of bed. It was during COVID. So I would, you know, turn on my Zoom, smile at like everything was okay. And it wasn't okay. And even mm-hmm. after the attempt, and I had to spend 10 days um, and involuntarily in a behavioral health institute, okay. um, I came back and the next day out of my, I got discharged on a Saturday. And on Monday, guess what? I was back on Zoom smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, so when I told my story several months later, when I decided to share my story, the messages that I got was like, what are you talking about? Like I've seen you almost every day this year. You're smelling like I didn't even miss you for the whole 10 days. Like how did this happen? And so, you know, what I 
really had to come to terms with is that, you know, I think, you know, being part of it was, you know, this expectation that I set for myself, that was also the expectation of others, right? Mm-hmm. Because I set this up, myself up as, hey, you wake up, you're happy, you, you're grateful, you know, you know, you're not allowed to have bad days, right? Because you have yeah. to have so much gratitude. And so what I had to do to reconcile that is that, you know what, yeah, you can be grateful, but you can also not be okay at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that your best doesn't have to be perfection. So if my best for the day is not to be able to get up and get out of bed and get on a Zoom or wherever, that's okay. That's my best. And that's okay. And um, that's not perfection. And it's, you know, it, 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 and that's okay. And that's really where I am. And to be honest, I'm still struggling with that. You know, I'm still struggling with, you know, not every day pushing myself beyond limits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, just even talk to my husband about that. Like, Hey, I got to look at my calendar. I've got to make sure I'm not so back to back and, you know, all of mm-hmm. this. And, um, and, but, you know, being vulnerable, like, you know, you saw um, the LinkedIn post that I posted this weekend that I was, you know, having a bad day and, you know, th- that's very helpful for me. And to get the messages that I get that people, you know, say that they too are suffering helps me to know that I'm not alone and it's okay. And, um, you know, and I, I haven't perfected this yet. I don't know if I ever will, but I've made a commitment to be better every day, to um, learn more about myself every day um, and um, to to um, ask for help and surround myself with people, uh, with positive people that bring great energy. Yes. And, um, you know, and it helped me for me and it felt that my best may not be perfection. And that was something else that I also did not do in the past. Mm, that's what, well, I, I, I want to say that the, the courage and the gratitude still flows through you now in, in sharing your story. Cause you didn't have to, you didn't have right. to share a story. Mm-hmm. No one even noticed it. Like right. you said, some right. people didn't even know that you were in my life and nobody would have right. known. You could have just, you could have hidden the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I think Natasha, when, because again, there's a lot of societal pressure to be strong and not talk about these things, especially in, in, in specific cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, what, did, what did you really have to change then? Because before were you, were you vulnerable to some people maybe saying it or did you not talk about it at all before? Like, Well, I was my family, my immediate family yeah. knew. Um, and to be honest, that didn't, all, all, that didn't always go great. Um, mm. My mother hadn't spoken to me in months. Oh. Uh, because of this oh. and um, other several um, members in my immediate family. And so that definitely was a discourager and dissuader from sharing the story. Like, oh, if, they're, if my own mother is going to respond this way, then mm. you know, how will strangers respond? Right. So, um, you know, a lot of that had to do with um, the stigma, again, especially in the African-American community. Yeah. It's really, really big, especially in her generation. Um, but, um, you know, essentially I just woke up one day. I've always been very, very vulnerable. If you go look at my LinkedIn profile, I guess I've been there about 10 years now. If you look at, I've always been vulnerable about things, you know, whether it's my, that open heart surgery struggle, you know, leadership issues, my mistakes, others mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I thought, well, why would I stop being vulnerable now? You know, mm-hmm. why, why in this moment that can yeah. be so important to others, why would I shield and mask my vulnerability? And so just one day I, you know, told my husband, I think I'm going to share my story. He was very supportive. And, you know, that's when I just woke up one morning, posted that professional picture and said, this is the face of bipolar disorder. Mm, mm. Were you um, now what are some, let's talk about some of the positive. I just want to, I want people to hear, cause we started the the podcast before we recorded with a couple of people's responses to your, to yeah. your post. Let's yeah. talk about all this like positivity that you received from it. So you post it and you must have, I would assume Natasha feel a little bit sick before you hit post. Oh, like, I did. I mean, yeah. I was like, oh, this could be a career ruiner, you know, right. it, it does not go well. And I remember posting it and like taking my shower, getting dressed and I would hear my phone go boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom. And after a while, I was like, let me just kind of look and see what's going on. And I think I had over 100 notifications, like within 30 minutes. And as the day progressed, that number just grew and grew and grew to, I mean, tens of thousands of likes, comments, the DMs were coming in. And I just spent all night going through every single comment, every single DM, just crying with people. And what was amazing were that the the messages that I got were, you know, it had no boundaries. It came from every single demographic that you can mm-hmm. imagine, every mm-hmm. single geographic location with people relating to my story for themselves, from those that they loved that had struggled. Um, I'm talking political boundaries, race boundaries, religion. But I mean, it was extraordinary. And um, and that's when I knew I made the right decision, you know, and just mm-hmm. reading those stories and just people pouring out their hearts to me. And I responded to every single one that night, every single DM. Mm-hmm. And I was up all, I literally did not sleep, making sure that I let those people know if you, you've sat down and took time to write your story to me, I'm going to let you know that I read it, you know, mm. and that you're seen and that you're heard. Mm. And so I responded to every single message that I received that night. And, um, and, and it just kept taking off. Um, I ended up in a partnership with LinkedIn um, where I did a, co- a commercial uh, about um, conversations for change that were happening on the platform. So nothing but positive came from it. I mean, I just, what I did, although I lost people, family, you know, that mm. shared my blood, I gained a family, you know, mm. that mm-hmm. shared this struggle. And um, I would not, you know, take back what I did for, for anything. Mm. That's such, and sometimes, like you said, there's a, there's your blood family and there's a chosen family. Mm-hmm. That's, right. That, That's that right. That chosen family can be a lot about um, shared trauma mm-hmm. um, or shared experiences. So what Natasha, it's such a beautiful story and, 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 and pe- the impact that you've had. Let's talk about, because we love action. Kelly and I love, like, we love doing the podcast, but we want to, like, always have, like, action and what people can do. And mm-hmm. so what would you suggest? I think, let's take it a couple different ways, Natasha, because okay. you're a kick-ass <laughs> HR person as well. That's how you started, right? Because we're all amazing in HR. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. We are. Um, every single one of us. <laughs> um, because companies are managing this mental health, I've seen so many, I know you've seen them, Natasha, the stats of it's the most critical thing. Employees uh-huh. are so worried. Um, uh-huh. What can we do? So let's take it two ways, Natasha. 
companies, like what kind of um, advice do you have for companies putting on your very um, important HR executive hat? Like what yep. would you do? Mm-hmm. But then, because we know real individuals listen to this, um, if you are struggling with mental health or you have a family member who's struggling, what would you, what would your advice and coaching be for them? So let's take companies first. Okay. Yeah. So for companies, it's creating these, um, you know, cultures where people feel comfortable talking about their mental health struggles. Mm. I wrote in my um, LinkedIn newsletter, um, you know, dear boss, I'm struggling with my mental health and, you know, gave some tips within that letter of how to have that conversation with your boss, you know, because I think that's very scary for employees to do. Um, So, so making space for that, just like recently, we've been talking about issues around race, you know, issues around LGBTQIA community, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start having these conversations and making space to talk about it. And then providing resources. Um, Although I have a very good insurance plan, what I found out was that a lot of insurance plans really don't really cover mental health or a lot of Mm -hmm. providers don't accept insurance. So I was paying, you know, up to $300 an hour out of my pocket uh, for therapy, you know, so even if your insurance doesn't cover it, you know, some kind of supplemental something, uh, for your employees to be able to have the resources, um, that they need. And finally, you know, and as HR people, we know a lot of people's mental health comes from, you know, their work environment. Mm -hmm. So doing an assessment of your culture to make sure that there is nothing disrupting your culture that could be providing or contributing to the mental health crisis, you know. And so those would be the three things that I would do. But that first one, I think that last one, rather really comes first, you know, you know, is there anything here that is, you know, um, not contributing to employee wellness and mental wellness? Are there, is there anything processes, people, you know, examining that, assessing that and, you know, getting rid of that. It starts there, you know, because the many of the people that I talked to, um, it was about, you know, their work environment, you know? And so I, I think we've got to start there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Kelly and I have often said one of the reasons we love talking about culture and why HR is so important is to your point, if I am horrible at work, meaning the environment's bad, it's toxic, you don't think I'm going to come home and carry that through? That's like, right. Mm-hmm. You, it is a very interesting, unusual person to work in such a bad environment and then open the door and be like, hello, family, let's <laughs> talk and have a great day. Like, really? Uh, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So fixing that culture. And, and, you know, Natasha, I know you, you've seen, I've done a little bit of research, but there's starting to be quite a few companies that will offer, like I've seen Ginger offering mental health resources to employees and a different platform and mm-hmm. pulling those costs way down. Uh-huh. Um, so it might not be one-on-one therapy, but a lot of different resources. And so there are some interesting new companies that are that are working on that, that if yep. the mm-hmm. organization's interested, they can do the research and find and partner yeah. with Yeah. Yeah. I've seen lots of the better up. I mean, it's lots of amazing companies yes. out there that are yeah. doing that. Yep. So thank you for the company advice. Now, personally, um, what if, if you know people who are struggling or you're struggling yourself, what advice would you, would you give? Uh, again, 
it's okay to say you're struggling, right? Um, you know, be in tune with your body. I think a lot of times um, things are happening from a chemical perspective within our brains and we kind of ignored. Why am I feeling this way about people, places, things that I've never felt before? Um, you know, so it's just like if you were to have a shoulder ache, you know, and all of a sudden it's coming out of nowhere that's persistent, you would go get that checked out. So again, pay attention to not just your body, but, you know, what's going on in your brain? Are you having thoughts you never had before? You know, those types of things. Um, And then get that checked out. So start there. And it's okay to, you don't have to wait for something to happen, right? I think that, you know, having a therapist, talking, um, even if you're feeling okay, is is still just like you go for annual physical, you know, you you can do that as well. For your brain, you know, Um, and then, like I said, surround once you figure that out, then surround yourself with people who are supportive of your mental health. Right. Because a lot of people don't contribute in a positive way. So evaluate who your support group is, um, form a support group, because to me, that's been the most beneficial thing to me is to have that support group within my home, outside of my home, just someone, the group of people I can turn to and talk and then accept it, right? If you've been diagnosed with a mental illness, accept it. It's hard Mm -hmm. to, you feel, I'll admit, you feel embarrassed, ashamed, you know, when you get that diagnosis, you think you've done something wrong, you know, you think your career is over, accept it and, you know, go forward with your treatment, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just like if you were diagnosed with cancer or anything else, you would not say, oh, no, no thanks to chemo or no, that you would be (laughs) right there. You got to do the same thing with your mental health diagnosis. Um, And then just because you're feeling better still continue with your treatment because guess what? Your treatment is why you're feeling better. Don't mm-hmm. stop. Uh, so, I mean, that's just my advice. I'm I'm, I'm going to admit I'm new to this. Like this has not been my life. I'm new. Yeah. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still accepting certain things. Um, and so just so far, you know, within this year or so, um, that has been what's worked for me. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm very proud of myself for where I am today compared to where I was a year ago. Hmm. So impressive. And I want to uh, emphasize um, your advice to folks of just, first of all, I love how you're like, it's an annual exam for your brain. Mm-hmm. Like go to therapy. It's great. Like yeah. it's great. And that whole stigma of therapy, if there's, a, there's so many things I wish I could erase, but I wish I could erase that one because mm-hmm. it really is. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a tune up for your brain. And to your point, especially we've had um, family members who are by, or uh, bipolar, and you, if you don't keep working the program, so to speak, uh-huh, uh-huh. you feel better, but it's you feel better because you've found the right medication, the right therapy, uh-huh, the right, and uh-huh. once you go off it, it's not very helpful to you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I think you have done so much and you didn't, you know, you had no idea. You were just going to be a cheerleader at 11, Natasha. You had no idea. <laughs> No idea. You had no idea. <laughs> you had no idea that, you know, just a few years later, my young friend. Um, that, <laughs> that's right. That, that's right. Yeah, just a few years later, just a few. That's what we're going to say. <laughs> you would be the cheerleader for mental health and destigmatizing it and saying, you know what, I'm uh, an executive and I have bipolar and I've attempted suicide and I'm here. Like, <gasps> how amazing. Thank you. Thank oh, you. I love that. I'm so inspired by you. But um oh, thank you. It's so beautiful. So Kelly, 
Um, what are you, what are the inspirations that you're gleaning from Natasha and how impactful her story is? Well, I can't help but think about how you mentioned at the very start, how you seek to carry on a legacy of what generations before you have endured and fought for. And I can't help but think about how proud they would be because they had to go through things and, and very difficult things. And so have you, uh-huh. and that you share so much of who you are so completely and wholeheartedly on LinkedIn and in, in other channels, for sure, the challenges, but also the triumphs. And so it really is, if you haven't had an opportunity to take a look at Natasha's LinkedIn in particular, each, I, I, I as I've reflected on your, our conversation today, each of your posts, as, you know, as I've been thinking, is really a form of acceptance and acknowledgement of who you are and that really others are not alone. We're all in this together. So there's a post where you talk about who you are, the challenges you faced, That's and then also me. You never suffered from heart disease again after your open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. You went to law school as a single mother on a full scholarship and the litany of things you've been able to accomplish um, that most would never be able to accomplish in a lifetime. And how, you know, a year ago, that may not have even been possible. But here you are oh. sharing your story with us. It just is so beyond moving. And so I'm just, uh, I'm so grateful for you um, sharing our, sharing your story with us and continuing to spread the message of how important mental health is and how important sharing stories is to the conversation, because no doubt you will, you will make a huge impact in what you're sharing today with our audience. I know you will. Oh, thank you so much for those kind words. Absolutely. And I will post all of uh, Natasha's information in our our show notes so that you have access to it. And again, please, please, please um, look at everything that Natasha has posted. She is someone that um, is, we, she's a force we reckon with. We're so grateful to know you, Natasha. And again, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We're so grateful to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abrachi Group, Instagram at Warriors of HR, and Twitter at Warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you.